Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. And our guest today is Shauna Potter. Shauna's the lead singer for the band War on Women and the author of the book, Making Spaces Safer, A Guide to Giving Harassment the Boot Wherever You Work, Play, and Gather. Uh, Welcome to the podcast today, Shauna. Thank you for having me, Greg. Sure. So, uh... You're you're involved in a punk rock band, War on Women. How did you first get into the punk rock scene? I'm involved. <laughs> involved. You are the I'm lead entangled. singer for this band, War on Women. That's right. <laughs> the relationship is complicated. Fair. Um, how did I get into punk? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think my first exposure to punk would be Riot Girl. Um, mm. Kind of learning about these women that lived in a different part of the country from me. I was in Texas Mm -hmm. or Nashville at the time. Um, And, uh, and just hearing, basically hearing, hearing people yell about the things that matter to them. And, and I admit when I first heard it, I was not ready for it. It was too much for me. Uh, But eventually, um, you know, you kind of, as a fan of music in general, um, even even not being into like cool underground stuff yet because I'm in elementary school or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, eventually you learn about, you know, historical important punk bands like Sex Pistols or something. And and it just kind of opened up from there that the idea of, of punk was was definitely sort of a genre, but it was more than that. And I think as time went on, obviously being a strict genre certainly uh, went out the window. You can say that almost anything is punk now, um, as long as it's mm. like, you know, brash and and true and and passionate and angry. At least that's my kind of punk. I guess I'm not super into like, you know, SoCal major chord right. <laughs> punk personally. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> um, like, like, what was it that like drew you into that, or when did you get in? Because because there's kind of a transition I see with people who get into punk rock between like when they first get involved with the music and be, be when they first discover that there's a greater scene or community around it. Um, you, and you know, there's a great distance obviously between Texas and Olympia, Washington, when you first got into <laughs> Riot Girl. So, what was that? What did what did that like like transition or journey look like for you? Well, I started playing guitar when I was 12 years old. And I, like, as soon as I realized that women could play guitar, which I didn't always know, it kind of took seeing someone on TV to know that I could do it too. Um, But as soon as I started playing, I was like, oh, like there's, there's more than just Janet Jackson out there, right? Like there's like bands. Well, I should be in a band because I want to play guitar. And I got, uh... I, I, I moved right before high school, and so I was like 14 or so. And so my mission was to, well, now I live in Nashville. I'm, I'm in high school. I'm going to find a band. I'm going to find people to play with. And that's kind of all I cared about extracurricular-wise. And um, eventually that happens. And, well, now that you're in a band, you need a place to play, like, because that's the point. So um, if I didn't want to play <laughs> one of my other me- band members, family's church, which I did not, um, then we had to find some other space. And so I think the first real gathering space where, you know, misfits and outcasts and punks and, you know, people that weren't 
jocks or nerds, you know, super smart or band geeks or whatever. You know, I was none of those things. I was kind of a theater nerd, I guess. Mm. Um, but because I cared so much about music, um, I wasn't really doing much, much theater. And so I had to seek out this other place. And it was at first just the mall. <laughs> right? Like just walking <laughs> around the mall right. after school with your friends for hours until dinner time. Um, and then we sort of, that sort of overlapped with um, kind of a cross uh, between the mall and the, the space called Rocket Town, which is just like this big, like all ages gathering space. And in between those two things, was like a highway. It was like 65, I-65. Um, and so we would walk from the mall parking lot and like try to cross the highway <laughs> because that was the fastest way without a car right. to get to Rocket Town, which is the only other place you could be after the mall closed at nine or whatever. Um, so really smart stuff happening. Um and that space existed as sort of like some nights it would just be like dance night, um, very like emo and like hot topic-y, um, but like bands would play like, I, I it might just be a Nashville thing, right? But so many people play music, so many young people play music because their parents or grandparents played music in Nashville. That's why so many people are there, right? So just, there's just a lot of talent I think, in the city and suburbs, um, people interested in music, so, which was nice. And so I had a ton of friends in bands in high school. Like, I, I was not unique in that way, <laughs> being in a band, um, which, of course, made me mad because I wanted all my friends to come see my band play, but they were all busy practicing <laughs> and playing their own shows. Uh, but this, I, I, you're just bringing up these memories, actually, of Rocket Town, just kind of being this big space that... Um, would just let kids hang out and like, you know, no drinking, no drugs, um, but you could have a good time when you're still underage. Um, but then at midnight, they would say, okay, if you want to hang out for a little while longer, you can have free pizza and we're going to talk about God. <laughs> and so that was sort of the trade-off when you're, right. when you're, I know I'm 15, uh, I'm 14, 15. I don't have a car. I'm beholden to someone else taking me home or my mom picking me up. I just want to stay out late because it seems cool to do. I'm with my friends. Okay, I'll eat the pizza and I'll listen to you talk about God. Um, but as soon as I got a car and I could go anywhere else, I did. And so the community changed <laughs> when my right. resources changed, I guess. It was interesting hearing you say that like you didn't occur it didn't occur to you that you could play guitar until you saw another woman do it because I like because like I remember the first time like when I saw Rock and Roll High School I'm like you know look at mm. these we these lanky weirdos playing guitar like if the <laughs> if the Ramones can do it so can I and it's a, and it's and it's just a reminder about something that's kind of a cultural conversation now which is that representation really does matter you know, like yeah. if you can't or like when we hear about people of color talking about seeing you hero on Star Trek, right, that that like seeing yourself in the the things that you look up to make you believe that that you can do that as well. One hundred percent. And that's something I talk about as often as possible. If it ever comes up in an interview, I am talking about the fact that I didn't know I could play guitar until I saw 
someone play guitar in a music video on MTV. And that representation really matters and you can't be what you can't see. And and it makes it so much easier for me to identify with like we're saying people of color or especially black people that just want to see themselves represented, that just want to see uh, storylines that have anything at all to do with their lives or imagine other futures like Star Trek, um, you know, and that when they are represented, we're not just representing the pain. Like we right. can't mm -hmm. only put out slave era movies, right? right. <laughs> like, right. like that's not enough either. Um, that's not something to aspire to. And it's not even like the full truth of what people are going through today, right? It's just some part of it. And so we, we have to, we have to just see more and more and more. And that exposure not only helps people of whatever marginalized group we're talking about, uh, to, to, to see themselves and to maybe take up a new hobby or a new skill or, or, try, you know, put themselves out there, uh, to, to be their best selves. Um, that, that exposure also creates more tolerance from other groups, uh, people that belong to the oppressor group uh, to just acknowledge like, yeah, a bunch of other people exist. I'm not alone in the world. I'm not the most important thing. The world does not revolve around me. Um, and that, and that's really important. Like that tolerance and the fact that the person can look up and see themselves reflected. They work hand in hand. Yeah. You know, something that I've been thinking about uh, since, you know, we started putting together this interview is how, um, you know, historically punk rock has been very sort of, um, progressive when you think about things like, you know, racism and fascism and stuff like that. But on the, on the issues of gender or sexism, it seems like, it seems like it's always lagged behind. I mean, we can look at, we can look at like, you know, particularly female fronted bands, like, you know, the slits and bikini kill and stuff like that. But, but in general, as a cultural conversation within a punk rock scene, it seems like the awareness of, of gender and women's issues is a very recent thing. That's, that's starting to become a bigger part of the picture. I, I don't have a perfect way to say this. I always feel like I'm, I'm having that moment where I feel like I might stick my foot in my mouth. Um, so let's, it's, let's hope for the best. I don't think, I don't think there is a perfect way to say, you know, well, historically punk rock's been an old boys club, but I mean, oh, well, you know, that's, that's a given like that, that, yes, that doesn't, yes. you'll find no argument from me. Uh, right. so what I'm about to say that I'm, I might not say perfectly is, is I, I, I really do believe that no matter what social justice issue we're talking about, pet issue, you know, what, whatever, whatever thing that someone cares about or is involved in, that they always have a problem with sexism and misogyny. Mm -hmm. And so I don't care how woke or progressive or knowledgeable someone thinks they are. Um, I guarantee that in general, as a movement, it's not serving its women or gender nonconforming people like it should. Right. I just so whether we're talking about civil rights, black rights, Black Lives Matter, um, and now obviously that's something that started by three women. But when you're talking about on the ground, local organizing, people showing up, like who's in charge? Who's in charge everywhere? Are we actually listening to black women in every community? Right. When we're holding protests and talking about things that matter to the black community, are we even listening to women? So that applies to like everything everything. I think it's so easy for people 
to still just discount women, to dismiss them. And so they might not feel this like overwhelming, you know, hater intolerance. I, I think women are just easily cast aside by people. Mm-hmm. They're just very used to it. And so, you know, we there is no genre of music that is safe from this. Well, <laughs> there's no, no of course. there's no corner of the world that's completely safe from this idea. Um, you know, so it's not punk spe- punk specific, but but I think anything that you know, especially starts out fairly subversive and small and and dedicated and you know, um, once it gets bigger and co opted and co opted and co opted and co opted, yeah, like yeah, of right. course it's going to suffer the same problems as the rest of the world, as any other corner of the world. I think that um, something you know that that kind of leads into a little is that you know, I've 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 been really interested in the community that forms when bands and and uh, audiences get together at a at a concert and it seems to me like there's there's it's so rare for that community to kind of meld like you'll sometimes have bands that will that will you know um that will use the stage as their platform or audiences that will yell at bands but but bridging that wall between them seems to be pretty rare and i know that in your band you'll often use the behavior of somebody in the audience to either confront or call out or start a communication with somebody who's attending one of your shows. And I was wondering like how that kind of developed. Was it an intentional thing? Like, like what, or was it just something that came naturally because that's what you do? Or like, how did, how did that kind of come out or build up in your performances? I think, I think a lot of people that are socialized female, even when they're, they grew up bratty like me, and, you know, you know, an only child who could, you know, ask for what they want mm-hmm. <laughs> from their lower middle class family. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, even I still find or found any kind of confrontation to be a little difficult, uh, you know, especially if the the stakes were were not high, but if, if it just, if it mattered to me, you know, there's, sure. there's a difference between being like, Oh, whatever, whatever. Oh, fuck you. You know, like when you're talking about an issue that like when you're just riffing, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With someone or a friend, like, and you're just having a discussion to discuss, but when something actually applies to you or affects you, um, you know, it can be difficult to sort of stand up for yourself sometimes. And so that's something I've certainly gotten better at. And, you know, and gotten better from, you know, at first maybe overcompensating, right? <laughs> and then like having to sort of swing the pendulum back and just go for healthy down the middle communication um, mm-hmm. versus any either extreme. Um, but so I would say that that uh, at the beginning of War on Women playing shows, um, you know, one I couldn't prepare for what our audiences might look like, like. I had no idea if we would be a band that kind of only preached to the converted, you know, Mm -hmm. or if we would find ourselves in front of audiences that maybe weren't used to seeing bands like us or hearing about these issues or just weren't weren't used to seeing women that were angry about something, um, which is most people are not used to seeing women that are angry about something. Um, So, you know, I couldn't really prepare and I, and I wasn't used to having to um, put anyone in check from a stage. Every other band I'd been in, 
um, mostly had polite audiences or, um, you know, it, it just wasn't like political music. Uh, and so it just wasn't, there just wasn't as much confrontation. So mm -hmm. I think at, at first, you know, at first you just are like me, I'm someone that freezes when some sort of crisis occurs. I just kind of freeze up. And so like, I just wouldn't do anything, but something happened kind of early on in the band where my, my brain shifted a little bit. And I started thinking that, well, if a band called war on women can't call out someone <laughs> in the moment for harassing us or harassing an audience member right. or, or being shitty or punching people under the guise of, I'm just dancing, you know, right. uh, you know, if we can't do it, well, who can like, like I started to accept the responsibility of being in a feminist political band that is a hardcore punk band, you know, like this ain't folk music. So we got to be, no offense, folk, but we got to be right. ready to back up the righteous anger that we're yelling about, you know, that we're expressing musically and lyrically. Um, we kind of have to be ready to back that up if if something goes down. And so I wouldn't say that I'm, um, I'm not a pacifist, because uh, I think I just haven't researched enough about it to know <laughs> if I am or not. I, I, I uh, but I'm not like super aggro of a person either. You know, I, I think I would engage in self-defense if necessary, um, if I can get over this damn freezing response. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, at some point you just have to say, hey, person in the audience, you're acting like a jerk. Stop. And, and realize that because you have a microphone, people will be forced to listen to you and that you have the best eyes on this audience. All these people that have gathered, whether they've gathered for you or not, they're all here. And I have the best view of everyone. And I have the loudest voice because of this PA that's backing me up. And so I have to use it for good. It's just this acknowledgement of, of uh, any kind of privilege, right? Like we all have different different privileges in different situations. And, and the point is not to ignore them or feel bad about them. The point is to just always use them for good and realize that you are in this community, you know, again, voluntarily or not, like we're all here in this club right now. So this is what has to happen to keep everybody safe. That's kind of how I, I think of it. Yeah, I think the key thing that that you said there, and I've had this in, I've heard this in past interviews, is the is the conscious acknowledgement that when when people come together around um, something that you have created, whether this is a venue that you have opened, or whether you are a band that has brought people into a room, or whether you are hosting, you know, a group of people playing board games at your house or whatever, is that like like there is a responsibility there to the people that you've brought together because because they're coming together around around something that you that you built. Yes, absolutely. Um I see and and I think that's the part that I that I feel like a lot of uh, that that is missing a lot in the music world is that is that especially on the band side is that people mm. that, and and I think that's part of what I was thinking of is that a lot of I don't think a lot of bands think of it as their responsibility to police a space. 
right? It's right. Well, like everyone's putting it off on the next person, right? Like right, the band sure, thinks it's the clubs. Sure. The club is like, well, why are your fans jerks? You know? Like- <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, the bouncer didn't do their job, you know, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree and believe that everyone has a role in community safety. Like everyone mm-hmm. can do something. Everyone has a specific um, role and that role changes depending on when and where you are. And, and, and in my book, Making Spaces Safer, um, I try to walk through that and, and just really lay it out there. So uh, the majority of the book, I'd say, is geared towards people that maybe are in charge for have putting all these people together in the same room. So maybe someone at a venue or a bar, a club, you know, that like someone that you already would assume, yeah, they're in a role of authority, right? Mm-hmm. So just kind of giving them one, the the, the tools to deal with identity-based harassment when it comes up and, and, and how do you prevent it? How do you deal with it in the moment, et cetera? And then also just trying to hammer it in like, and it is your job. Yeah. <laughs> you, do, you, you can do this. You can affect change for good and it won't affect your bank account and you, know, you should be doing this. Um, but also saying, now what about the people on stage, right? What about the people in the audience? What about the people that help promote? Like, uh, that booked the show. People that who work at the night. bar. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone, everyone mm-hmm. has something to do with community safety. And, and so, yeah, hopefully in the book, I've, I've made it as clear as possible, um, <laughs> on, on, on how that, uh, how that, how your role might change, how you approach something. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that you, you can still, uh, make that good change. Yeah, so that uh, kind of leads into uh, the thing I was going to ask you about ne- next anyways, which is, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, War on Women played on the Vance Warp Tour, and you started doing workshops at the various dates about creating safer spaces. Um, where did you kind of, you know, get the idea and how did that come about? Well, I had already been doing safer space trainings for about five years before that. Mm, like, okay. that's what I did in my community. Um, and so it made perfect sense when they said, Hey, just so you know, we have this like teaching opportunity, uh, that any band can do. Um, it was like, what are we going to do? We're going to do another drum clinic. Like we're going (laughs) to like, what? I don't know. Like we also had two fill in members to, to, to do that tour. It's a, it's a grueling two month tour. We were having some lineup changes, you know, so we had like two subs. And so it's like, really everyone's extra time was one sleeping because it's hard. It's a grueling two months Two, you know, probably going over songs all still Mm -hmm. to make sure everyone knows what they're doing. Um, and, and, and then, you know, having a drink or a smoke with, with friends and bonding, like, right. Like that's, it's like summer camp for punks, but Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of extra time. And, and, and as someone that, you know, like I'm the singer of the band, I, I, for all intents and purposes, I was the tour manager uh, for that tour and general manager for the band. Um, and so I certainly had a lot to do, but I didn't necessarily have to like load a bunch of gear or, (laughs) um, you know, uh, do the physical demanding labor every day. And so I thought, well, the least I can do is, is offer up these skills of, um, creating safer spaces to people in the audience who could literally turn around and use those skills the second they leave my workshop. Right there. That's right. Right there. So 
I, I, I wish I'd say I, I did a workshop every single day. I definitely did not. It was hard to compete with people that are actually famous that <laughs> would literally have like 50 kids in front of them. And it's, I would walk by, dude, and it would just sound like they were shooting the shit and just talking about whatever came to their mind in that moment. And, and some of these kids were just, you know, ensorcelled listening to them. And I was like, yeah, no wonder my numbers are low. <laughs> no one cares about what I'm talking about <laughs> because I'm talking about one, I'm not famous. And two, I'm talking about stuff that is like, sounds like homework to people <laughs> sometimes. Mm. Um, but the thing is, it's so important. It's so oh, important yeah. to know what you can do in the moment when harassment happens. Like, there's a lot of planning that people can do. Uh, there's a like, so in my book and, you know, I'll just give some people some tips. Um, even though it might seem a little weird right now, if we're all socially distancing, still remember this until the next time you're in a public space. Um, you know, signage is really important. Make, making your intentions obvious is what I call it. Uh, just letting people know what you stand for, what you're about, what the rules are, what happens if you're harassed, who do you tell, who's in charge, you know, um, everyone that works there or is volunteering has a button or a shirt or just something so you know where to go, you know, like just making everything obvious if something does happen, right? And then by preparing people for, you know, the idea that harassment won't be tolerated, um, you actually will get a little bit less harassment because people know that that venue or that space takes it seriously and that they're not going to let it slide. Um, and then the next thing is, is how do you respond in the moment? And so th that's, that's more than I can give you in like 20 second soundbite. Sure. Um, but it's, you know, it's all about active listening and crisis response and giving people options uh, but not too many so you don't overwhelm them and like doing the things that are actually in your power to help the situation while also acknowledging that like you know you're not a cop you're not a judge you're not there to figure out who's guilty or innocent you're not there to put anyone away you're also not a counselor you don't need to be talking to someone for an hour about their their trauma and their life you know like so so finding that sweet spot of like what what exactly is your role and responsibility and and doing everything in your power to to so that people do feel safe and you take care of the situation and nothing more and nothing less. And I don't know how to finish what I'm saying to wrap it up with Warp Tour, but um, basically I, I wish that more people took the training when I was on Warp Tour. Um, I think it would be really beneficial, but I would say that, you know, we also had a, a, a couple volunteers uh, running an organization for us uh, called Safer Scenes on that tour uh, because, and we put it next to our merch table for most of the days because we wanted people to, you know, maybe maybe they come to our merch table, they saw us play, they like us, and then here's this thing right here, this other booth telling them general bystander intervention skills, the five Ds of bystander intervention, and and what can I do right now, and and here's a rape crisis hotline number, and, and how do I help refugees, and, you know, like... Um, just the skills that you could, again, use immediately uh, if something happened on Warp Tour. Was it mostly like kids and young people coming to the workshops while you were there? Because, I mean, even even with even even if it's a small number, I feel like that like like I wish I had that training when I was a kid. Right. And a lot of times, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot more cultural awareness of these kinds of issues now today than there was 30 years ago when I started going to punk rock shows. But but I mean, 
it seems like, especially for young people, that's such incredibly valuable information for them to have at hand. You know, I, I believe everyone should have been taught active listening skills and good communication skills and setting boundaries and consent and, you know, like that's just good human stuff that yeah. we need to know that would, that would, I it would help. It would just help every, just like mental health should be like a part of healthcare and should be free and like normal and like every day. Like it's, it's, I wish that that was the norm. Um, and I know it's not. And I, the interesting thing about Warped Tour is that it hits so many uh, towns that are, you know, in between big cities, right? Like mm, yeah. places, places where bands don't necessarily come on tour, uh, but the Warped Tour is there. And so it has this like potential for being really great place, uh, a really great place to expose uh, younger people to great ideas. Um, and whether that was always done, who's to say? But um, I, I found that in general, that tour skewed a little older than mm. maybe previous warp tours because of some of the bands that were on the lineup. Right. Uh, there were some amazing hardcore and punk bands and, um, you know, people closer to my age <laughs> than not. Uh, and so I, I think most of the people I was talking to were in their twenties, maybe even thirties. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think that something that's really beneficial for people younger than that is just the idea that, you know, at, especially at this booth that was next to us, the idea that. Hey, if you're harassed, if someone makes you uncomfortable here, that's not okay. And you have the right to be upset about it. And it's not normal. And it's, it's, it's not acceptable. Like you, you can tell us and we understand, we believe you like that. That's actually really huge to hear at a younger age that whatever you're going through, someone someone gets it so, someone's been there like and it's not just something you have to put up with it's not the price you pay for being in a public space um so i think that that is almost a better first step for much younger people that are dealing with any kind of identity-based harassment you know to, that they can find an outlet uh to talk about it and not just bottle it up or, or internalize it and think that they deserve it or 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 anything damaging like that yeah, in a way, I'm thinking like I'm kind of riffing here. This might not go anywhere, but I mean, like I think back to when I was, you know, and you talked about um, this place you went to that was all ages where kind of, you know, weirdos and freaks collected, even though they had to listen to about God. And like I, you know, when I look back on growing up and about how what an influence that all ages spaces had on me, and it seems like that's become a much harder and harder thing to find in the mm. world. Like, especially, you know, any place where kids gather seems to be both by parents and by communities kind of looked down upon as potentially trouble. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it seems like it's, it's, it's like, it's like we're losing the opportunity to reach those kids when they're impressionable through that, even even more than we had the the small amount that was available when we were growing up, you know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, so, sometimes I wonder, like, what was my mom thinking? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that she let me do that. But but then again, I wasn't just going to see the show. I was sometimes the show. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and and so I think it gave her a a different outlook. It was like an extension of me doing plays and musicals in school. It's like performing. And so right. she could wrap her head around it. And and she she loves music and always has, too. And so the fact that I was in a band, like a rock band, she was like, oh, that's pretty cool. My daughter's cool, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and so but I, you know, after, you know, uh, Christian Pizza Rocket Town, um, when I got the car and I, and I wanted to play, uh, you know, in the city downtown with cooler bands and maybe bands that, whoa, came from out of town. What? Uh, that we played at Lucy's Record Shop which was like famous in Nashville, like a place to play, even though, you know, terrible PA and very small. And, you know, it was just like the punk place to play. And, um, and I was, so once I could go there, I was there every Friday and Saturday night uh, without fail to watch whatever band what was there. And, you know, and I mean, that's where all my, I made friends there. And so therefore that's where all my friends were. After a while, I was friendly with people I went to high school with. I had a couple good friends, but most of my friends I didn't go to school with. They were they were people in other bands, people I'd played with, play, people that saw me play, people that, you know, uh, were touring, came from out of town. Like, it was just such a, a definitely very unique and magical time in my, in my life. Um, yeah, I also don't know where I'm going with that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, but 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 it, yeah, it brings me to the idea. Like I, I can't believe my mom let me hang out in downtown Nashville at a punk club. That's that's I'm so grateful for that. Um, maybe she just needed alone time. I don't know. Uh, good for her, right? But when I feel like when we see kids gather. Like, yeah, we have this idea that it's nothing but trouble. And like these kids, it's like some of us had mohawks, you know, like right. leather jackets. Of course we looked like trouble. Um, right. But I think as long as we did it at this punk club, which was, you know, a sober club, there's no alcohol, there's no bar. Um, then there was a sense of, of safety there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in Chicago, we had this place called Medusa's, which was an, also a juice bar where punk bands played, and they, and you know, a big industrial scene grew up around that, and it also, but it also turned into a big um, center for the gay, the gay community in Chicago, especially gay young people, because mm -hmm. that was again a place where they could felt like they could just come out and be themselves and not be judged, yeah. and and really the only place that they could do that underage before they could go to bars and things like that. Yeah. And it's just like those, I, I feel like there's a story in every town of a place yes. like that, that was so yes. formative for people. And I just feel like the loss of those spaces is just, it, it's such a shame to me that, that those spaces have largely gone away to the best of my knowledge. It is wild how my, basically my brain of course is, is going to COVID because it can't, it yeah, can't sure. not at some point when we're talking about gathering in these spaces. But there is a 16-year-old in my life that, uh, you know, started going to school virtually a couple days ago or a week ago. And, and the idea, like, I honestly can't even imagine when I was 16 being trapped in my, you know, where I live oh, yeah. in my mom's apartment. Mm -hmm. Um uh, even, even if the internet was as much of a thing back then <laughs> as right. it is now, like to be stuck there 
I would have lost my mind. And I, I just can't even put myself in her shoes. I just can't imagine what it's like, especially considering the freedom that my mom gave me uh, and independence that my mom gave me to, to, to go to a place to, 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 to freely express myself, to find out who I am and like have different experiences and different friendships and learn about the world and, and then come home safe. Like I, I just, I feel for her so much and I, I just don't know how you bounce back from that. And then, and all, and all that makes me think is how there's a version of that story for every single person right now. There's mm-hmm. a version of how COVID is affecting someone in this weird, maybe small way, maybe huge way, maybe many, many ways, you know, that like, it's hard to think of all the ways that this will affect people and has changed their lives. Uh, it's just so big. And so I, I'm happy to talk with you now about just public spaces and gathering and, you know, but it's making me miss it a little bit uh, <laughs> in the process. But I, but I, I think something uh, else I've been thinking about is, is, is when it's actually safe enough for all of us to gather and, and be a little, you know, our guards are down a little bit more and we can just be ourselves, maybe hug someone, you know, mm-hmm. um, that we are going to need safer space skills, maybe even more. Because I don't know about you, but I have completely lost all sense of general politeness in <laughs> society. Like, like I have forgotten, like, oh, yes, I'm supposed to say please or thank you to someone. Like, it's g- gone out the window. Um, I'm like, when I do see people and I interact, like, I'm quick to be, like, a little too familiar and, like, sarcastic. And, like, like it, it just, it even happened, like, once. And I was like, Shauna, reel it in, reel it in. This is too much, you know? Um, but it's like any kind of pent up socialization is just like that onto, onto people when I'm actually around them because it's so infrequent. Right. And so that's like kind of, oh, that's kind of funny and cute and innocent, you know, but imagine multiply that times all these people writ large, yeah. uh, people are losing all sense of other people's boundaries and will, again, just kind of have these pent up feelings that need to get out. And, you know, I'd say, you know, my my tolerance for alcohol is probably higher than it was before COVID at this point, but, but maybe some other people's tolerance for alcohol is lower and they go out and they have some drinks and they kind of, you know, just lose sense of boundaries and and consent and and what's okay in public spaces and how you treat other people i could easily see that happening and so i think that now is the time unfortunately it's always the time but now is the time to make sure we know what to do when we see harassment happen how do we intervene how do we check in on the person how do we confront someone you know how do we use the five d's basically and then how do we if we are running a space or have any responsibility at all for a gathering, um, how do we try to prevent it from occurring in the first place? How do we respond when it does happen? That's I just think it's vital that people uh, start start this conversation now if they haven't already, because by the time people are gathered, 
it's going to be really hard to 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 catch up and learn all this stuff when you really should be concentrating on making as much fucking money as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I um I mean I do think that that you know the 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 ideas and the principles that you that you're talking about don't just apply to physical spaces, you know, because there's a lot of digital gathering going on, mm. be it in Facebook groups or in private chat groups or whatever, you know, or in, you know, groups of people coming together on Zoom or whatever. And, you know, a lot of those principles, I would say, apply just as much, if not more, to those spaces than in person because you you feel when you're when you're online or and you're involved in a digital community you feel that kind of sense of removal of personhood from the other person right mm. so so i mean i i would say that those that those principles apply just as well now if not more than they did in physical spaces and you know when you're in digital spaces like we i think we want to create a sense of community if we can we yeah. we want to try to have that same human connection virtually, even though we might not, you know, get there as we would if we were actually in a physical space together. Um, but to, to try to get as close to that as possible, just to appease our ancient brains, you know, <laughs> a little bit and give us that comfort and, and socialization that we, we, we really do um, rely on whether we know it or not, right? So, so if we're trying to create that sense of community, like one, we're, you know, maybe we're doing little exercises at the beginning of a meeting to get everybody talking and, you know, bonding mm -hmm. with the people on the screen, but also we need to let people know that we do care about them and we care about their safety. And we show that by having policies in place, by, by being right. prepared for someone to, you know, crash a meeting or whatever, you know, like whatever it is, like by, by, by being prepared and, and, and dealing with things as they come up and, and just acknowledging that it's going to happen. And, and so you've thought about it. And if you've thought about it, it means you've thought about the people you've invited to this gathering. Um, so, you know, a lot of people I think are, are, building or creating communities right now or gathering people together in a lot of different ways. And especially as, you know, there's more discussions around issues of social justice and harassment and, and, and having spaces be safer. You know, we talked earlier about responsibility and I think a lot of people are kind of scared of that responsibility or they don't know what to do with it or how to start with it. So like, what was, what is some advice you would give to people who feel like, like they don't, they don't know how to take on that responsibility or, or what, what, what some good first steps are for them. Yeah. I mean, first I would say you're not alone. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a reason I wrote my book is because people right. needed it. Right. And so I think in general, people like to do what's easiest. You know, it takes a decision to take a path that might be a little bit harder. And so if the easiest thing to do is just ignore harassment, hope it goes away. Um, well, the, maybe the troublemakers just won't come back, you know, that kind of thinking uh, that can only, you know, that can get you really far. But especially with the digital age of people uh, taking their complaints and concerns online, putting people on blast, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's not uh, it's not something that especially business owners can really let slide anymore. We, we can't just ignore harassment until it goes away uh, because it doesn't work that way anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so if all you care about is, you know, the bottom line, um, then that's my argument for that. Hopefully anyone listening cares about people too. <laughs> and right, so, right. and so that's great. And I hope you do. Uh, and it means that, you know, harassment, uh, and hate crimes have actually been on the rise since 2016 and that's not stopping anytime soon. And so we just have to acknowledge that the people coming into our space are dealing with a lot of shit before they walk in. Uh, and if you want them to spend money and have a good time and hang out and come back and tell their friends they had a good time, well, we don't want to put the same shit on them that they get from the rest of the world. You know, we want to take some of it away. We want to lessen their burden. We want to give them actual leisure time. So like I was saying before, again, one of the first things to do is just signage. Make your intentions obvious. Make Just make it clear. Have policies in place. What are you going to do if someone says they're harassed? Um, what kind of behavior is not okay? Like, just spell it out and make it, make it idiot-proof, right? Um, and then I would say buy my book, honestly. <laughs> I, think it's, I would love to go to every single venue and, and do a training for your staff. Don't get me wrong. Um, but my book is cheaper and it's safer right now because of COVID. So uh, yeah. what I try to do with this book is... It's, it's not theoretical, right? Like there, like enough people have done the research about harassment and trauma in the brain and, 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 and the effects of enduring harassment over a lifetime. Like that's all out there. Um, there there's all kinds of studies. Um, that's not what people needed. Like you're welcome to read that stuff if you're interested in kind of the why. But I'm just trying to give people the, okay, what? What do I do? What do I do right now? What do I do tomorrow? What do I do if they say this? Okay, what if they say this though? You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just wanted to almost just make a bunch of bullet points of, okay, and here's what you do. Here's what you say. There you go. You'll be fine. So it's a perfect place to start when you just want to get something accomplished. And it will certainly, you know, if you're interested, it can lead to other questions and other, you know, schools of thought and research. And if not, it's enough. It's enough to make your space safe for everybody that walks in. And I would point out that in addition to the full-sized book, there is the the uh, more easily consumable pamphlet version as well, right? Yeah, there's a little pocket guide version um, that is definitely bare bones and and just right, right. Here's here's the basics kind of thing. But the book is um, it, the book has more stories, like personal mm-hmm. stories. It has more information about uh, like there's actual research and numbers. Right. So for any skeptics, you know, that need to hear that. Um, It also has information about what to do if you're the person being harassed. There's a chapter on restorative justice. There's a chapter on healthy flirting and how to recognize it or engage in that instead of harassment. Um, And so it's just it's just more, 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 Um, you know. So I say get the the full book. But, you know, what do I know? Yeah. No, I mean, mean, the stories in particular, I think, um, are really important because they really, they're the ones that really bring home the seriousness of it from the people who have experienced it, right? Yeah. And I I always like to, always, as if I've written another book. I don't know. Right. Um, But I've always found that there is a balance to be had between you know, personal stories, anecdotes, and research and hard numbers 
and then okay now talk to me plainly and, wh and what am i supposed to do right now uh you know like so i tried to find that um mm -hmm. if it was just anecdotal stories well that doesn't tell a, a bar owner or a coffee shop manager what they're supposed to do or what the sign should say that they put up right but if you only give people um the point by point here's what you say like they're gonna sound like a robot and they're not gonna mm -hmm. know why they're doing what they're doing so it's all it's all in there and i tried to strike a, a nice balance so that everyone could sort of you know find what they needed to hear cool well uh we've been going for a while here and um uh before we go i wanted to ask how can people find you or get in touch with you? Do you have anything that you're working on right now? I know War on Women has a new album that's coming out soon, I think. Yeah, that's the big thing. Uh, War on Women's new album is called Wonderful Hell. And it's out October 30th on Bridge Nine Records. And so everybody, please, please, please go to b9store.com <laughs> and sign up to get you know pre-order information or uh, order information. Um, yeah, that that's the, if, if you're looking to help feminist art or DIY bands or, uh, you know, struggling artists and underemployed people. Uh, that's a great way to do it right now <laughs> is buy our record. Um, <laughs> or you can, you know, buy my book, uh, just to prepare for when people gather in public spaces again. And uh, people can book me for virtual trainings. I do bystander intervention and safer space tactics and, even one-on-one -on -one kind of consultation, like feminist consultations, uh, whatever issue you're having, we can try to find like the best feminist solutions for it. Um, and people can find me just at shawnapotter.com and get in touch with me there and learn about everything else I do. So my name is spelled with a W, S-H-A-W-N-A potter.com. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I've been I've been a big fan for a long time. I think, I, and I and I really appreciated what the band has brought to um, the music scene these days. Because you know, when I when I got into punk rock, I loved the angry, just like putting the truth right out there in your face <laughs> aspect of it. That's what right? I try to do. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, I remember seeing the video for say it for the first time and really being mm. like, this is what I've always appreciated about punk rock, right? This, this just like taking it and putting it in your face and saying, you cannot look away. This is the reality that you have to accept and deal with in your life. So yeah. uh, I appreciate you coming on today and thanks a lot for uh, sharing with our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.